Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today, we are kind of running with the theme of this holiday week that we've experienced. I hope you had an amazing Thanksgiving. I uh, saw this little meme online. I'm not going to actually show it to you, but I wanted to share with you the message because it's kind of like a Thanksgiving toast that I feel like many of us can identify with. It says, uh, I hope that your turkey was moist and that no one used that word to describe it because that's just one of those words that makes us all uncomfortable, right? So that's my wish to you. I hope it was a great time. Um, And since I have grumbled about it pretty much up to this point, um, and it is now seasonally appropriate, I wanted to show that I'm not just the Grinch, like the tree, it's in process. Uh, We don't have the ornaments up on it yet, but we set it up uh, Friday, right after Thanksgiving, and uh, my daughter has been hounding me. She's like, we gotta put the ornaments on the tree. What are we doing, Dad? So that's the plan this afternoon is nap time, for both of us, and then uh, ornaments on the tree. But I was just like, man, isn't that the good stuff of Christmas? Like my dog laying on my lap, little twinkly lights in the background. It's beautiful and it's festive. Uh, But for where we're going today, I want to go with the holiday that we just celebrated together, the the holiday of Thanksgiving, this season uh, of gratitude and of really appreciating the things that we do have in this life. And uh, what we're going to talk about today, I don't think it's going to be really dramatically surprising to you in any way. I don't think there's going to be any like hook at the end where you're like, wow, I've never heard it said that way or I've never thought of it that way. But really today, what I want us to do together uh, is I want us to remember something that it's easy for us to forget. I want to remind you of something that, that can be so powerful and so important in our lives. And so we're calling this weekend, Enough is Enough. And I don't know if you experienced any of that over the past few days as you celebrated Thanksgiving together. Uh, If you're like me, whether you went for the second or the third helping, eventually you probably reach that point where you're like, you know what, enough is probably enough uh, with food. Or if you're like me, you probably, on Thanksgiving especially, believe that too much is never enough and you just kept going. Uh, Maybe you felt like enough is enough because you were around family and you like reached that boiling point where you're like, it's been a couple of hours, enough's enough, right, hon? Like, can we pack up the kids and and get out of here? Maybe you felt like enough is enough with Black Friday shopping this year, which has been fascinating. Uh, When I've mentioned Black Friday to people this year, I feel like everybody's kind of shaking their heads and grumbling about it. And uh, I was thinking about it. I did not go out Black Friday shopping because I love the Lord. Uh, But my friend Sarah does love to go Black Friday shopping. So we were talking about it yesterday as we were getting ready for church. And she said that uh, she noticed when she was out at the stores that uh, it really wasn't all that much more packed than just like a regular old Saturday at any given moment. And it reminded me, this is a complete sidebar rant, okay? But it reminded me of what we talked about a few weeks ago because they took the holiday, like even the corporate greed, terrible holiday of Black Friday, and we've stretched it out over the whole month, haven't we? They like started before Halloween. It was Black Friday, it seemed like. And so it ruined it. Like the people weren't out. So that's just free and, and a sidebar today, I guess. But uh, this idea that enough is enough and that we could actually like be content with what we have, it's actually a pretty countercultural idea because the most common message that we receive around here as good Americans is typically that more is better. Like if you, if you have one, but you could have two, you should go for two, right? That if you can get more, or be more, or accomplish more, that that's a good thing. And on some level, that's true, but it's a countercultural attitude to really believe that enough can actually be 
enough. And I was thinking about it and where we're headed this week. And I read this study that came out 10 years ago, which was 2013, by the way. It doesn't feel like 10 years ago. Uh, but this study was done in the UK and it studied uh, families whose household income was around 100,000 pounds. So in US dollars, that's like $126,000. And in 2013, that was pretty wealthy. In 2023, it feels maybe more like that's the threshold for middle class, but that's a different topic for a different day. These are families that made around $126,000 a year. And so the researchers specifically studied the kids in these families and checked in on their well-being. And what they discovered is that there were issues like eating disorders, drug abuse, neuroses, and self-harm that were soaring among these wealthy teenagers. And it kind of screams in the face of that more is always better mindset, doesn't it? That we would think maybe that these kids would be happy because they had so much resource available to them that they could buy whatever they want and they could have whatever they want and that would make them happy. But the information actually points the opposite direction, that these kids were in a wealthy environment where they could have basically anything that they wanted as long as their parents agreed or let them, right? But they were struggling in these intense ways. And in fact, the researchers came to the conclusion that the reason that these kids were struggling so much was because of the pressure they felt from their parents. They felt pressure from their parents to live up to a certain level of success or a certain level of achievement, and that's what led them to these issues that they were dealing with. And so for you and me today, you may not be from a wealthy family. Maybe you're like, I would love some wealthy family problems. That sounds good to me. Uh, but the truth is all of us face this pressure to believe that myth that more is better, and that maybe we need a little more to be happy or to be fulfilled or to be the person God wants us to be. And what we're wrestling with, when we wrestle with this idea that more is always better, we're really wrestling with this concept or this idea of contentment, of what does it mean to be content with where we are or content with what we have? What does it mean for us to, to have peace with where we're at? And I was thinking about some of my first run-ins with contentment, and I was reminded of uh, middle school and going into high school especially, uh, you all probably had this moment as well. When you go into the lunchroom and it's like at that point in life is when we all start to divide up into our different herds. And so you're in the lunchroom and you have to figure out like, where am I going to sit? And I can remember that experience and I was trying to figure out who my people were and uh, I was not super athletic. So all the jocks were like out from the start and like, I'm not going to fit in with those guys or those girls. I was a band nerd, but I didn't really want to be a band nerd, right? Like I thought I was a little cooler than the band nerds. So it was like, I'm not going to sit at that table. I need to find my people. I wasn't smart enough for the chess club crowd or anything like that. And so basically what I did is I would go from group to group to group to group. And I would decide like, no, I don't fit in with them. No, I don't like them. No, I'm not going to belong there. And so I ended up coming to the conclusion that I'm like, I don't like any of these people, right? Like that, that's basically what happened for me in high school. And, uh, I think the truth is some of us still kind of carry that type of attitude with us today, right? We can look around at the people around us and when we fall into comparing or, or considering like how we fit in with them, isn't it true that it's so much easier to identify what we dislike about other people than to deal with what we may feel like we don't like in ourselves? Isn't it so much easier to go like, you know, they're the problem and to like isolate ourselves instead of acknowledging that maybe we're not okay in some way? The reason that this is such a, a challenge as it relates to our contentment is when we're comparing ourselves to other people, there is always someone with more. Whatever it may be that you want, there's always someone with more. There's always an example we can look to who is more-er than you, whether it's smarter or richer or wiser or cooler or whatever it may be. There's always 
someone that we can look to who has more than we do. There's always someone that we can compare ourselves to and be jealous of if we're not careful. For some of us, we don't just want er, okay, we want ist. Like, like you don't want to be smarter, you want to be the smartest. You don't want better, you want best. And so if there's ever anybody who's better than you or a little farther than you, uh, it's this struggle for us. And, and the moral of the story with this dynamic for us is this. I've heard it phrased uh, by Andy Stanley, who we've heard from around here before, uh, in this way. He says that there is no win in comparison. That as it relates to our contentment and as it relates to our peace with ourselves and our relationships with other people, there's ultimately no win in comparison. Maybe you've heard that idea before. Uh, I was going to share a quote from C.S. Lewis, but I discovered later that Nobody really knows who said this. Maybe C.S. Lewis did, maybe Mark Twain, Teddy Roosevelt's in there. It's like one of those quotes that just goes around. But someone one time said uh, that comparison is the thief of joy. That when we find ourselves comparing where we're at to where other people are at, it can take our joy away. It can take our peace away. That there's no win in comparison. And, And for where we're going today, what I want you to understand is that discontentment, this feeling of not being okay with where we're at or what we have, that's fueled by comparison is so incredibly dangerous. Discontentment fueled by comparison is dangerous because it can lead us to this dynamic which we see all over in our world today where people are working themselves like crazy trying to get more or be more or accomplish more or keep up with some type of standard that they think is out there that's better than where they're at right now. This is why some kids, like you're just studying all the time and you gotta be better and you gotta get into that AP class so that you can get the scholarship, so that you can get into school, so that you can get the job, and so that you can stay on the right track. Like, it can become this stressful thing where discontentment, fueled by comparison, ends up driving us and making us strive to death. Right? We're exhausting ourselves. We're burning ourselves out like crazy. And sometimes we excuse this in ourselves because we'll say, well, I'm just trying to maximize my potential. And that's a good thing. Right? We should all try and maximize our potential in terms of what God has actually given us and actually called us to do. But the truth is, when it comes to comparison with others, very rarely are we actually maximizing our potential. And often what's happening is we're trying to keep up with what we perceive as somebody else's potential, right? We're trying to keep up with their potential and how we think they're better than us or farther along with us. And all of this dynamic is dumped into a world in a cultural context right now where it is easier than ever to compare ourselves with other people. Right? It's easy to pick on social media, but it's like the studies are out there. The effect is obvious. It's easier than ever, whether it's Instagram or Pinterest or Facebook or take your pick, to look at somebody else's life, to take our real life right, and all the mess and everything going on in it and compare it to somebody else's highlight reel on social media and draw this conclusion that I don't have enough or that I'm not doing enough or that I'm not good enough. We live in a world where we can constantly compare ourselves so easily. And again, it is so dangerous Because what we can tend to do, instead of deal with the bad feelings that that gives us, is we isolate ourselves and we push other people away. And when we do that, we make our world smaller. It's like me in high school. We find reasons why we're not okay with them instead of maybe acknowledging the ways that we don't feel okay, the ways that we're not content with where we're at. And I would be willing to bet at some point, all of us have heard that whisper that sneaks into our lives one way or another, And it's always a whisper, right? It's never a loud voice. It's that that quiet, deceptive voice that is your inner monologue that says you need what they have in order to be respectable or acceptable or lovable. We've heard this at one point along the way, right? That pressure of like, I need more, I need to do better, I need something that I lack in order to be okay. It's the voice of our culture, 
And what's crazy about this dynamic is if you've experienced whoever they are for you, right? I need what they have. Whoever they are for you, the crazy dynamic is they're probably experiencing that same whisper in their own context too, right? They have a they that they're like, man, if I could just be like that. So this is everywhere. And again, there's no win in comparison. And I want to be clear today in how I'm talking about this. This dynamic in our world, it's a problem that's not going away anytime soon. This is not going to be a 35-minute fix to that dynamic, okay? And in fact, I'm not saying like culture is evil and it's crazy out there and we should condemn it and go live in our holy huddle and just like bubble ourselves off. This isn't a problem that can be solved today, but what I want to do with our time together, highlighting this dynamic of comparison and discontentment that's out there for us, is I want to give you a way forward, a way that can actually help us manage life in the midst of this crazy culture, in the midst of this crazy context. And to do so, uh, we're gonna look at some thoughts put together by the wisest man who ever lived, a guy known as King Solomon. And he wrote a couple of books that are uh, recorded in scripture. He wrote the book of Proverbs, which is a collection of wisdom that he wrote to the next generation. And then he wrote my favorite cynical little book of the Bible known as Ecclesiastes, where he just kind of observed and experienced everything he could in life and then reflected on the meaning or lack of meaning found inside of it. But this wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, he summarized the phenomenon that I'm talking about today in this way in Proverbs chapter 14. He says that envy rots the bones. This seems kind of intense, right? It's we all kind of agree, like, that doesn't sound like a good thing. He's saying, when envy gets in you, it can destroy you from the inside out. Like, it rots the bones. It, it tears us apart. And so I'll give you the bottom line early today, okay? This is basically what Solomon is saying. Knock it off. So I'll pray, and we'll go home at that point. No, right? Like, that's ridiculous. If, if only it were that easy, I would stop there. Uh, but again, I can't give you the magic trick today that's going to make this phenomenon, this temptation for us to compare and to compete with one another go away. But what I do want to give you and what I want to do to remind us again is want to give you some guidance on how we can manage this dynamic and manage this temptation. Uh, because it's a tension that we have to learn to live with and live in rather than a problem that we can solve. Problems that you can solve, you can solve them and they go away. But there's certain tensions in life that we just have to learn to live in. And so this dynamic is one of those tensions that just exists in our world. But what I hope you can see today is that it's a dynamic that doesn't have to actually drive you. It doesn't have to actually shape how content you are and how you're actually living your life. And the truth is, as long as you're trying to live up to somebody else's expectation for your life, as long as you're trying to keep up with other people, you won't have any margin in your life because you'll just constantly fill your calendar with more and more things, right, trying to keep up, or more and more stuff trying to keep up, or you'll, wor you'll work harder and harder trying to get that next promotion to try and feel significant, to try and be respected. Like, this stuff can drive us crazy, and it can destroy the margin in our life. And even as we're in this season, right, we celebrate the food drive, we're doing Christmas Compassion, which is amazing that we uh, sent all those tags out today. We're in a season of giving, but you can't give to other people if you're busy trying to keep up with them. You can't give to other people if you're not content with where you're at. And so we have to learn to manage this dynamic. And if you're here and you're just checking things out, what we're talking about today could just be good advice for you. But if you're here and you're like, hey, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian and I really want to get this thing right. This is such a big deal for us to manage because what that means is if you're a follower of Jesus, your heavenly father has called you according to his purpose for your life. 
right? God has a purpose for your life and he's called you to be and to do certain things. And the question that should nag every Jesus follower in the room as it relates to our discontentment is this, what if you missed God's purpose for your life because you were trying to keep up with someone else's? Like what if you missed God's purpose for your life because you were constantly chasing after a myth that more was better. Solomon's going to give us uh, this word and this concept, this picture in our minds that can personify this thing that we're talking about, this thing that we all chase that has the potential to steal our joy. And what I want to do with the rest of our time, uh, my goal is to give you sort of like a mental line of defense against this temptation that shows up in us to believe that we need more or to feel like we're discontent. It's a place where you can go mentally when you start struggling with comparison emotionally, because that's how it always goes, isn't it? It it may start out in our minds with a certain thought that we need something, but it always drills down into the world of feelings, where it's, I feel like I'm not enough. I I feel like I've got to do more. I feel like I'm behind. It's emotional, which is what can make it so extraordinarily powerful in our lives. So I want to give you a couple of phrases that we can remember that can almost serve as like guardrails. If you feel tempted or if you struggle with this idea of comparison and discontent, it can help you stay on track. And if you're a Christian, maybe it'll help you stay focused and stay on target for God's purpose for your life specifically. So back to Solomon. Uh, He was wealthy. He was wise. He lived all kinds of life experiences. He almost made it his goal to go out and just experience everything that he could and then came back kind of as a thought experiment to reflect on what was actually good and what was actually full of meaning in the midst of it. And so he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes that's found in scripture. And here's what he said. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter four, Solomon says, I saw that all toil and achievement spring from one person's envy of another. So so he's saying, like, I observed the way that people interact. I've observed the way that life works. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another person. That the reason that we're all running at a crazy pace and the reason that, that we're acting the way that we're acting is because everyone is competing with one another all the time. That everybody is determining where they're at based on where everybody else is. And then he makes this judgment call. He makes an assessment of what he observed. He's like, people are competing, they're comparing like crazy. And he looks at it and he says, this too is meaningless. Which if you were with us earlier this year, uh, we did a series, we just called it Wisdom, where we looked at wisdom literature and scripture. Ecclesiastes is a piece of that tradition. And that word meaningless shows up time and time again throughout this document. But it's the word in Hebrew, havel, which literally translates to vapor. It's like Solomon is saying that that this pursuit that people fall into, this chasing after, comparing to one another, it's like smoke that you can see, right? It's there, but when you go out and you try and grab it, there's nothing left in your hand. It's vapor. It's here one moment, it's gone the next. It's, it's meaningless. And then he goes on, and Solomon gives us a mental image that I think can help us actually personify this temptation that many of us deal with. This thing that kind of just seems out there and like we just drift into it on accident. He gives us this word picture to describe what it's like when we fall into this comparison trap. He says, this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. It's like chasing after the wind, that that when we compare ourselves to one another, that when we, we feel like we just need more to be okay, it's endless, it's pointless, there's no finish line, there's no trophy at the end because there's no winner, right? There's no peace, 
There's just striving and dissatisfaction guaranteed. Some of you are like, man, this is an uplifting Thanksgiving message, right? But, but what I'm trying to get at is that comparison, it's the thing that can put the dis in discontent. Comparison is the thing that can make us so unsatisfied. Comparison is the thing that can steal the joy out of our achievements. Because no matter how much you've achieved, we can always find somebody who's a little bit better, can't we? Somebody who's gone a little bit further. And if we fall into comparing ourselves to them, we can become discontent so quickly. It can steal the joy from the goals that we set. Because even when we achieve our goals, somebody may have set a bigger goal. Somebody may be farther down the road. And so when you catch yourself drifting into this struggle, when you catch yourself saying like, man, I wish my life looked different. I wish I had what they had. I wish I could do what they do or whatever it is for you, however comparison shows up. When you find yourself going into that space, what Solomon is saying to us is that's when we should stop and we should say, that's chasing the wind, right? That's, that's just chasing the wind. Maybe, maybe you even need to say it to yourself out loud. Okay, so if you're in a public place, do it quietly. Otherwise, it'll be weird. But like maybe you need to actually like get this in your memory as a line of defense. If, you're, if you struggle with comparison, when you can stop and maybe you're filling your Amazon cart again, right? It's that season where we're shopping all the time and all the deals are coming our way. And when you keep adding to cart and adding to cart, maybe you need to have a moment where you stop and you go, you know what? This might be chasing the wind. It's just chasing the wind. It's something that I'm grasping for that I'm not actually going to have, right? It's not actually going to satisfy me. Uh, maybe it's like I don't need to do more hours at the office. M maybe enough is enough. Maybe I can stop, right? Maybe I can just be because it's chasing the wind. Do you want to spend your life chasing the wind? I was thinking about this this week because uh, we were at my parents' house yesterday. It's birthday season for my family. I've mentioned there's a birthday like every single week. So yesterday was my grandfather's 96th birthday. So we went to my parents' house to celebrate and we brought the, do the dog with us because they have this nice fenced-in yard and we let them run around and do their thing. And so I was watching Penny, my dog, uh, in the backyard. The leaves are still out at my parents' house because my dad had knee surgery and I think it's my job to clean up the leaves for him and I haven't done it yet. So we were out there and I was watching Penny do her thing and the wind would blow occasionally and it would like pop up a little pocket of leaves and she's a puppy still. So she would just like run straight at it and barrel into it and go crazy. And it was funny and I would laugh and it would happen again over there. And so I just watched her run around the yard. And then I was thinking about what we're talking about and I'm like, that's funny and that's cute in a puppy, right? Like that's entertaining in the backyard. But how sad is it when that's how we live our lives? We just run from thing to thing to thing and we think we're gonna get it. We think we're gonna get it and there's actually nothing there. And so we find ourselves discontent because we're just chasing after the wind. Here's the point today. It's that your life is too valuable to be spent chasing after the wind. That your life is too short to be spent chasing after the wind. So when those feelings come up in us, those feelings that lead us to compare and lead us to be discontent and lead us to think we need more or we need to do more, remind yourself, that's chasing the wind and I don't chase the wind. Right? That, that's, that's chasing the wind. That's not ultimately gonna satisfy me. So we could probably stop there, right? Because we kind of get that concept. But Solomon doesn't stop there. He keeps going and he kind of explains this to us two more different ways because he knows that we need to like view this whole thing from every angle to maybe get it into our minds. Uh, so Solomon goes on and he, and he adds to this conversation. He says, hey, all this toil and all this striving and all this comparing, at the end of the day, it's just chasing the wind. But he makes sure that we don't run to the opposite extreme either because he goes on and he says, like, don't be passive. He says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. So he's saying, don't 
strive and don't chase the wind, right? Don't do this, this empty game. And at the same time, it's foolish to see that dynamic and to run to the other extreme. It's foolish to go like, hey, I'm not gonna spend my life chasing the wind, so I'm just gonna fold my hands and say, why try, right? I'm just gonna see what happens in life. Solomon says, no, 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 don't do that either. And then he goes on. And what he says next is a concept that if we could really embrace it, it has the power to change our outlook on our lives. He, he goes on and he says this, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls of toil and striving and chasing after the wind. It is so powerful if we can actually embrace this way of thinking. And again, it is so countercultural because we're good Americans and our mindset is like, no, it's never better to have one if you can have two. Like we're like, Solomon, if I could have four arms, I would take four handfuls of whatever you're offering because we believe more is better. But Solomon is essentially saying to us, no, 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 enough is enough. That enough is enough for us. That one handful of tranquility is better than two handfuls of toil and striving. And what does tranquility mean? It's not a word we talk about often, right? Tranquility shows up in day spas maybe, but what it really means here, tranquility, it means satisfaction. It means you can be content with what you have and where you're at. Tranquility is that thing that shows up in our life when we look at somebody else and instead of comparing, we think, I'm happy for them and it doesn't bother me. I've got tranquility. One handful of that is better than two handfuls of striving. And we assume often that more is better, that more is always better. But the thing about more is more is ultimately an appetite. And do you know what happens to appetites? Thanksgiving just happened, so you probably know, right? What happens to appetites is the more that you feed them, the more they grow. So some of you are probably hungry right now because you're like still feeling Thanksgiving effects over the next couple of days. You're like, I stretched out that stomach. I need to fill it. Appetites grow when we feed them. And more is an appetite because more leads to more, more, right? Like better leads to more better that we need. When we feel like we just need to keep chasing something, chasing more always leads to wanting more. And it's a trap. It's like chasing the wind. So if I could summarize what Solomon's trying to get us to understand today, I think he would say it in this way, that less is more when the less that you hold is what you were created for. That less is actually more if the less that you hold is the thing that you're called to hold, right? It's the place you're called to be at. And I wanna be clear in what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's bad to have goals and ambition. I think we should have goals and ambition. We should be good stewards of what we've been given. And I'm not saying we should operate in some kind of like caste system that says wherever you're at in life is where you stay. Not at all. It's good to want to be more and to grow and to do better. But it's dangerous when it moves beyond the point of living out what God's put in us and it becomes grasping and striving for something more. It's better to have one handful of tranquility than two of toil and striving. And then Solomon goes on and he gives us one more observation, kind of teaches us the same thing from a different angle. And he says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone, and he had neither son nor brother. And for us today, we may think, why does that matter, Solomon? Like, who cares? But in the ancient world, that was a big deal. Because this man who was alone and had no son and had no brother, what that meant is he had nobody to pass on his wealth to. Because in the ancient world, the way the system worked, uh, women weren't allowed to inherit property. So this man had no son and no brother. That means he had no one to pass on 
his wealth to. And then Solomon doubles down on it. He says, for this man, there was no end to his toil, and yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He was a guy who was constantly working and constantly doing more and constantly striving, and yet it was never enough for him. He was never satisfied with what he had. Every time he pursued more, it led to more, more. Every time he pursued more, it led to better, and then he needed even better than that and even better than that. It needed to be even bigger and even bigger, and so he was just working and working and striving and striving. And then finally, this guy reaches a point where he asks a question, and it is a question that we will all probably wish we had asked ourselves a little earlier in life. It's never too late to ask, but it's a question that the earlier you can answer this question with intentionality in your life, it can help you hold on to one hand of tranquility and not strive for two hands of toil. And this is the question that the man asks. He stops and he goes, for whom am I toiling? He asked, for whom am I working? For whom am I, am I striving? Like what's really behind why I do what I do? For us today, maybe it's the question, who am I trying to do what I do for? What am I trying to prove? And the thing about this question is there's an answer to this question for you, whether you've ever intentionally asked it or not. Right? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Who am I doing it for? Why are you striving? Why are you toiling? Why are you pushing harder and harder all the time? Who's it for? Is it your brother? that you never felt like you could match, that was always better than you, always just a little farther ahead? Is it your sister who, who it felt like you had to like work to get their love or work to get their attention? Is it mom's expectation? Right? Did that show up again at the table at Thanksgiving? And it's like, no matter what I do, it, it's never enough. Is it dad's expectation? You think if, if you do enough, Maybe you'll get acceptance or you'll get love that you desire from him. Maybe even for you, like your dad's passed away and you still feel that lack. And it's like, what do I do, right? How do I fill it? Who's it for? The point is, if it's for somebody else, if you're comparing yourself to somebody else, you'll never win that game. There's no win in comparison because if you could have, you would have by now. If you could have done more to get what you're going after, you would have by now. But this question can be so clarifying when we wonder, whose approval am I competing for? And do they even know that I'm competing for it? And do they even care that I'm competing for it? And, and if they knew, and if they cared, would it even matter in the slightest bit? For whom are you toiling? Some of us were tempted to say, like, well, I'm doing it for me. And maybe you are, but probably not, right? Because for most of us, we dig down another layer. If we really stop and we're honest with ourselves and we dig under the surface, and we wrestle it to the ground, it can be so clarifying. When we wrestle it to the ground, we can answer that question. It's the secret to actually free you to experience contentment when you get clarity around why you're doing the things that you're doing. Solomon goes on. The man asks, for whom am I toiling? And he asks, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This guy's so bound up in chasing more, he's not even enjoying what he has. Right? He's just getting more and getting more and getting more, but he's never stopping to enjoy it. And so he asks, who is this for and why am I not enjoying the fruit of my labor? And maybe you've never answered these questions before about the way that you operate in life or the way that you approach or those appetites or desires that are inside of you. And if you've never answered that question, maybe as a result, if you're honest, you're not really enjoying life either because you're just striving and you're just toiling and you're working for more. Here's maybe like the hard truth part of today. If you're not enjoying your life, no one else will. 
right? If you're not enjoying your life, no one else will do it for you. And in fact, to maybe drive it home a little further, if you're not enjoying your life, the people closest to you will sense that. And often that dissatisfaction in you, it kind of like leaks out and it can lead to discontentment in your relationships. And it's just like vicious cycle that keeps going on and on and on. And here's what's crazy is so many of us struggle with this. And then somewhere in the world right now, there are billions of people, no exaggeration, billions of people who would look at your life and they would look at my life and they would look at our circumstances and they would look at what you drive and what you wear and who you hang out with and where you work and where you live and who you spend your time with and they would consider you the luckiest person alive. They would be amazed at the life that you and I live. But we don't do that, do we? Because we're we don't know why we're toiling. We don't know why we're striving. We don't know why we're working and we don't know who we're doing it for. And Solomon says one handful of contentment, one handful of tranquility, is better than two handfuls of that striving and that toil. So he wraps this up. He observes this man again and comes to the same conclusion. He says this too is meaningless, a miserable business. And here's why this is a big deal for us. Because if you struggle with comparison and you struggle with this temptation, the truth is you're never going to become who you were born to be, who God made you to be, if you're spending your time looking over your shoulder at anybody else. You're never going to become the person God made you to be because the energy that you tend to spend, that I tend to spend looking over our shoulder at somebody else or comparing to where they're at versus where we're at, it's energy that God gave to you to do what he called you to do, right? Not to compare with what he's doing in them, but work that he called you to do specifically. You have to learn and I have to learn how to run our race and to stop chasing the wind along the way. The Apostle Paul actually talks about this very same dynamic uh, in a different letter he wrote to some of the early Christians in the region of Ephesus. We know it as the book of Ephesians. And he says it in this way, kind of subtly, but he writes in Ephesians 4, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, which just as a sidebar, Paul writes often about the idea of contentment, this thing we're talking about today, and almost every time he does it, he's in jail when he's doing it. So he's like, I'm a prisoner, but I'm content. He's like, I found this secret that I can live out beyond whatever circumstance I'm in. So he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you as Jesus followers to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I heard that verse a lot when I was growing up as a kid in church, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And when I was a kid, I've really honed in on that like worthy idea. And that idea, sometimes if we focus there, this can feel like a verse that actually leads us to discontent, right? We can think, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I need to do more, the bar is too high, and so we strive and we strive and we strive. But I think the thing that maybe we need to hear today in this conversation on contentment is not if you're worthy enough, but rather, are you worthy of the calling you've received? Are you living a life worthy of the calling you've received? Not the calling they've received, right? Are you living out the gifts and the talents and the passions in the context that God has placed you in? to the fullest of your ability? Or are you comparing yourself to where they're at and why they're there and why aren't you there and getting sucked into this? If we go back to Solomon, here's the front half of that proverb that we opened up with earlier. He says, envy rots the bones. But before that, he tells us that a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And the point for all of us is you can't compare your way to peace You can't compare your way to tranquility. You can't win chasing the wind. Instead, God's given you a race to run. God's given you 
your calling to live out. And, and so to bring this a little more to the bottom shelf, okay, to make it practical, like how do we actually do this? It seems like a good idea to not get sucked into this comparison trap, but how do we actually do this with the people that we relate with and interact with? I would say it this way. We can look to others for inspiration, but not for imitation. We can look to others for inspiration. It's good for us to see people who are farther down the road than us and to think like, man, that's amazing that they can do it. Maybe someday I'll be there, but not imitation, not this thing that says like, I'm not good enough because I'm not there yet. Instead, what we need to learn to do is to celebrate them and then run our race. Celebrate them and stay in your lane. Don't waste energy resenting them or being jealous of them, but instead stay focused on who you're called to be. Stay focused on what God has given you to do. And this is the secret to contentment. Again, a handful of tranquility is better than two hands of toil. There's an author, uh, kind of like a philosopher, uh, named Jordan Peterson, who's written several books. He became popular a few years back. Um, he's kind of polarizing at times, so I don't necessarily agree with everything that he said, and you don't have to either. But one time in, in this book he wrote called 12 Rules for Life, uh, he wrote this idea that really I think captures really what Solomon is getting at as well. Jordan Peter says, Peterson says that the calling on our life is to compare ourselves to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Right? Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who somebody else is today. Because if our focus is there, then we'll keep getting better. Right? If I'm going to compare me to me yesterday, and I'm going to work on me today, instead of looking at somebody else and comparing and feeling that discontent and getting sucked in to this trap, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who somebody else is today. Here's why we're talking about this, guys. It's because we get one shot at this. Right? We, get, we get one life. And it is so easy for us to get distracted along the way. It is so easy for us to get pulled into comparison. And what I want for you is I want you to not miss the life that God has for you, the calling that God has for your life. And you'll never experience that life fully until you embrace what's in front of you, until you embrace where you are. And the earlier we get this, the better. And, and the good news is you can start today, right? When we ask that question, why am I toiling? Why am I striving? What am I working for? When your emotions get the best of yourself, remind yourself, I'm not going to chase the wind, right? I'm going to run my race and knowing that that's the only way to actually become the person that God's called us to be. Let me pray for you. God, I pray that we would know what to do with what we've heard today, that uh, if we're here, anybody's here today who struggles with comparison and, and discontent, God, that they would hear loud and clear that that striving, it, it actually leads us nowhere. And instead, it is better to embrace where we're at, that less is actually more if it's what we've actually been called to carry. So God, I pray that we could have clarity around the race that you've called each of us to run, that we could live lives worthy of the calling you've given us, and that we could stop this comparison trap that just leaves us discontented. God, help us to have peace with what we have and where we're at, and have our eyes fixed on you and who you're calling us to be. God, we pray and we ask all of that in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.